to support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey, everyone. Here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal, investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between three and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to PositiveSarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. I didn't realize that dogs feed off your vibes, you know? Like if you're chilling, they're chilling, you know? If you're sleeping, they're sleeping. But if you're a psycho like me and you're screaming at the ref on TV being like, dude, you gotta be fucking kidding me! I didn't realize the dog was over in the corner being like, yeah, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> this is bullshit. I don't know what this guy's mad at, but I love this guy. This guy feeds me. Is it the door? Are you mad at the door? <laughs> Man, I had no idea I was amping this dog up. I'm so selfishly in my own world. I'd be like on the computer and would crash. You'd be like, oh, really? Really? Dog's over in the corner with like a chew toy. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed like that game seven look she was getting on her face. And one day I amped her up too much, had no clue. And I went outside, we were just walking down the street and some poor bastard comes the other way. And the dog's like, that's that motherfucker. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com. Report here at the Spare Parts Studio. Happy Sunday, everybody. Sunday Leftovers is here. Hopefully a shorty, because I am, yeah. Let's see. I had to drink uh, I had to drink pre-workout this morning, and then I had to drink this entire Aroma Joe's black coffee. I am, uh, I've also got this canine tumor growing out the back of my ass. This fucking dog refuses to move. Um, what are you doing? Why are you going to take up, you realize this, this is my podcast? This is my podcast, and this is my seat for when I record the podcast. You know, the, the podcast that's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, CastBox, Podcast Addict, you know, anywhere where podcasts are available, downloadable for free. It's available on Positive Sarcasm Podcast on YouTube, you know, the one that I built myself, the one that I record, edit, and upload, you know, that podcast. The spare part studio that I built with my bare hands and put together using very little cash and funding. You know that podcast? 
So you're just going to go ahead and sit there, right? You're just going to go ahead and sit right behind me like you're some type of cushion and just take up my whole chair while I try to figure out a way to record this episode on very little sleep. Is that what you're going to do? You're not even going to look at me when I talk to you, do I? Right? You're just going to look off into the corner and pretend like you're not like any other pit bull. High energy and everything. You're just going to lay there, right? You're not even going to look at me. You're not even going to respond. Not in any way, shape, or form. Will I try to milk time out of this of this Sunday Leftovers podcast? You're just going to sit there? Yeah, he's he's not responding. Anyways, yeah, you can find me on all social. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and of course TikTok. Uh, don't worry, somebody will buy it. It'll either get banned or somebody will buy it. But you can find me there at positive underscore sarcasm for fa- for Instagram, Facebook.com/slash/pos/sarcasm, and at positive sarcasm on TikTok. Oh, now you're gonna. Okay, now well, you're not gonna move. That's for damn sure. Sorry, it's a short podcast. You're a good boy. And hey, don't fucking touch my arm. Um. All right. So what are we doing here? Oh, I did catch a movie last night. Okay, so Hunter Killer. Uh, I did want to mention, I've been very picky about the movies I intend to watch. I have a kick for uh, submarine movies. I've always been a fan of submarine movies. Ever since The Hunt for Red October, which I watched like 57,000 times when I was a kid, um, I've, I've, always, I've always had a, a love for submarine movies. There's always, there's always tension. There's always a little bit of spot for humor. It's generally a guy's type of movie. There's just there's a lot that can be done with a submarine movie. There's always some type of plot point that you can insert. I mean, any movie, you think about it, whether it's horror, comedy, action, drama, you name it. It's like, well, I don't know if we can think about it. Anything, love story, you name it. Like, we got an idea. We got, we got a pitch. It's this thing with this person in this place. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if the, the, if the publishing agency is going to buy that. Well, what if we do it on a submarine? That's it. We're in. Sell it. So anytime you throw a submarine into a plot, chances are that if you get enough... I mean, nowadays, you don't even have to fucking have... C, I, you don't have to have an actual submarine. You can just do CGI. Like this movie, Hunter Killer, 2018, with Gerard Butler's in it, Commons in it, uh, Gary Oldman's in it. Who else is in it? Who is the girl? I can't place the girl. Uh, she plays the, the NSA agent. Who is that? Captain Forbes. All right. She's, yeah. See, I've uh, gotten plenty of sleep last night. Well, I guess she's not listed here. Jacob Scorpio, Ethan Barr, Dempsey Boval, Adam Common, Henry Goodman, Constantin, Gary Oldman, Gerard Butler, Carter, McIntyre, Shane Taylor, Koa, Bocchini, Mikey Collins, Will Attenborough. And <laughs> the girl, the lady is nowhere to be found. See full cast and crew. All right, now I got to go. All right, this is weird. I can't even find the female who was in the movie. And she was one of the supporting actresses. Ethan Barr, Dempsey Bovat. Where the freak is she? Sarah Middleton? Liddy? Is that who that is? No. Linda Cardellini. That's her. That's got to be her. Yeah, Linda Cardellini. Wow, she's hot. What was she in? Brokeback Mountain, Avengers Age of Ultron, Legally Blonde, Scooby-Doo. Wow, thought I'd seen her in more stuff. Where do I know her from, though? Muppets Now, that's definitely not it. Capone, haven't seen it. 
Robot Chicken? <laughs> That's a great show. Green Book, haven't seen it. Daddy's Home 2. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, Linda Cardellini. Yeah, she's in it too. Anyways, uh, it's got some Russians in it. It's got Gerard Butler in it. It's better than Olympus Has Fallen, and it's better than it's better than any of those uh those fallen movies with Gerard Butler. But it basically has to do with Russian uh a Russian coup and basically a bunch of submarines under the uh under the Arctic Sea. But it's a lot of fun. It's actually a really good. It's a it's a straightforward submarine movie. Everything's CGI'd, but it's a lot of fun. It's a good. I don't know what is it, two hours long. Two hours and one minute. Solid romp. Solid submarine romp. I gave it four out of five stars because it was super un- I thought it was super underrated. It wasn't just good, it was a lot of fun to watch, and it really just moved along. Whereas a lot of movies drag nowadays and try to f- and they try to fill it with some type of what do you call it? Like uh, underlying like morals or whatever. This is just a straight up act like action thriller movie. With submarines and shit. And you don't have to wait to get to the action. It's just really good. So check it out. It's it's on um H it's on Amazon Prime, but it's through HBO subscription. Uh Hunter Killer 2018 with Gerard Butler. And it's not cheesy. At least I don't think it was cheesy. I was wide awake for the whole thing. I stayed awake for the whole movie. Just just because. Nowadays I think that's that earns you a star. If you stay if you if I stay awake for the entire movie, you get a star out of me. Uh, but I gave it four out of five stars. Uh, IMDb gave it 6.6, understandably so, um, compared to other sh- But that's the first movie I've watched in a long, long time. Last one I think I saw was, what, Knives Out, which I liked. I thought Knives Out was pretty good. Uh, but Hunter Killer, 2018 action thriller. When did that come out? October of October 26th. Yeah, I must have missed that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great popcorn flick. Yeah, popcorn flick, solid. Anyways, uh, let's see. Where are we? I'm. We're gonna do a short one today. Actually, if you wanted to catch other, like I said, submarine movies are some of the best that you can watch out there. It all started with um, Das Boot or The Boat. That's like if you're gonna get started on like submarine movies, like that's the quintessential one you start with. I would say personally, you'd start with The Hunt for Red October, and then you would move to Crimson Tide. The Hunt for Red October is pretty much the height of the Cold War in the 1980s where Sean Connery is on board one of the deadliest submarines of all time. Not only does it carry a shitload of nuclear weapons, you can't hear it when it's in the water because it is a brand new propulsion system that you that sonar can't pick up. Which means if you have a giant nuke floating in the in the water, and our sonar systems can't pick it up, it could be sitting right off the coast of Manhattan. And you wouldn't know it was launching nukes until it was literally launching nukes. And then that was it. We wouldn't have time to respond. So you'd start with The Hunt for Red October, in my opinion. You move to Crimson Tide, which is like a classic Denzel Washington movie. But it also has Gene Hackman. So there you go. Plus points for that. And it's got a ton of other... um, It's got a star-studded supporting actor cast, such as... um, Who's the kid who was in um, A Bronx Tale, who just got out of prison? Also, uh, the guy from Hidalgo is in it. What the hell's his name? He was in Green Book. And James Gandolfini's actually in it as well. K-19, The Widowmaker, was kind of disappointing. That was with Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson. But uh, it has some redeemable qualities to it. 
But overall, I don't think it was the it wasn't the best. It was a three star movie, but it had a two star running time. U five seven one I wasn't a big fan of, and then there's like a bunch of classics like uh like the enemy below, run silent, run deep, Operation Petticoat. There was actually a comedy. Uh, that, oh, and actually, yeah, there was a comedy called uh, Down Periscope, which actually was a pretty good like '90s uh, submarine comedy. That was actually a good one. But then you have like classics like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, which is actually not a bad one to run on. And then uh, I don't consider the Beatles Yellow Submarine to be a submarine movie. That's just that's just, you know, a good time. That's just fucking hallucinogenics and stuff. That's not even going to that doesn't count, in my opinion. There are other ones such as Leviathan, The Abyss and what's the other one? Deep Star Six, which are also kind of submarine movies. So there are there are a bunch out there. There's a really a lot of good ones out there to check to go through as far as submarine movies. It's just I don't know. It, I have a. I have a, a thing. I have a fetish for submarine movies. There's just a lot out there. It automatically, when you're in a submarine, it adds tension and depth to the plot. You just have that little extra thing. So that's a, definitely a good one to check out. Uh, for the record, uh, s- some of these lists are flawed. Some of them put, uh, what do you call it, Under Siege on there. Under Siege is not a submarine movie. Under Siege is a battleship movie and a terrorism movie. It's different. Very, very different. Um, but it is still a really good movie. You know, it's it's the early days of Steven Seagal before he put on 300 pounds. Anyways, uh, I wanted to get to, before we get out of here, I wanted to get to, let's see. Is that the one I want to use? No, I don't want to do that one. Chase, would you fucking chill out or you want to get out of here? Get out of here. Go on. Get. Get. Get out of here. Fucking dog. Anyways. It's just me, me and my dog all day long. So, all right, do I want to do an exercise? No, I want to do this. There is a, there's two articles here I wanted to talk about. One from This one was from Inverse.com. I didn't really get a chance to sit down and absorb it until now. It has, it, it has a very interesting uh, viewpoint as far as information overload, but it's in a different, it's presented in a different light. Predicted information catastrophe may be a caused may be caused by a fifth state of matter. So let's see. I'll get past the. I don't like how a lot of these articles nowadays have like these opening quip kind of jokey lines. So I'm gonna get right to the actual study markers. In a new study, researcher Melvin Vopson predicts that the weight of this information. Uh, could equal that of half of the Earth by the year 2245, creating what the study calls an information catastrophe. Uh, Let's see. In the findings published Tuesday in the journal AP Advances, Vopsons, a senior lecturer in the physics at the University of Portsmouth, turns to a thermodynamics principle proposed by physicist Rolf Landar in 1961 to to explain the relationship between bits, the tiniest parts of information that make up everything from how we send text to how quantum computers are coded, and energy. In a nutshell, Landau proposed that destroying a bit of information requires a comparable dissipation of energy. With this principle in mind, it stands to reason that the creation and destruction of more and more bits of information would require the use of more and more energy. And this is precisely the problem, says Vopson. The growth of digital information seems truly unstoppable, Vopson explains. 
According to the IBM, according to IBM and other big data sources, 90% of the world's data today has been created in the last 10 years alone. In some ways, the current COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated this process as more digital content is used and produced than ever before. Calculating the total mass of information, according to IBM, we collectively create 2.5 billion gigabytes of information every day on Earth. And because each byte is comprised of 8 bits, this is equivalent to, we're going to get some math, 2 times 10 to the 19th power of bits for the whole year. This is equivalent to 7.3 sextillion bits. That's a lot of bits. Uh, that is that is a lot of information, Vopson argues, that the creation of this much data is only expected to increase in the coming decades and centuries as our lives become increasingly digital. The question is whether or not we can, can sustain the influx. With growth, with estimated growth rates per, per year, 5%, 20%, and 50%, Vopson estimates that the total number of bits created could match the total number of atoms on Earth as much as as 27 as soon as 2170 and slightly less time just 130 years vobson estimates that the energy requirements for information alone will be equivalent to the total power consumption on earth today which includes industrial transportation and domestic energy the problem goes beyond energy alone vobson says he also postulates that information can move between states of mass and energy, just like any other type of matter. Should this assumption be true, it could mean that the sheer amount of energy required to produce this much data could be equated to mass as well. In fact, Vobson estimates that information alone could equal the half of the Earth's total mass by 2245. There's a catch. There's assumptions we were proposed by Vobson himself in 2019 and would have yet to experimentally Oh, yet to be experimentally confirmed. Vopson tells Inverse he's still optimistic they will be proven correct based on the scientific theories he draws from. Since both... Okay, so far as I'm reading this, I don't completely understand what he's going... What what he's getting to as far as the danger. Obviously, there, there's a concern here. I'm still trying to get to the, what he's talking about. So, okay. Since both special relatively and Landauer's principle have been proven correct, it's highly probable that the new principle would also be proven correct although it is currently just a theory. And should this principle be confirmed, Vobson said it could be a huge implications for the study of physics, particularly cosmology. The mass-energy information equivalence principle builds on these concepts and opens up a huge range of new physics, especially in cosmology. When one brings information content into existing physical theories, it's almost like an extra dimension to everything in physics. To store all this data, Vobson says that the technology will need to be developed beyond the simple magnetic or optical hard drives we have today. Instead, it could be stored on non-physical entities, entities like photons. Are we in trouble? That's what I want to know. Vobson's paper doesn't touch too much on what this energy saturation would mean for the end of days or how we can avoid it. Still, he tells Inverse that this new singularity isn't necessarily a bad thing. Instead, he, it could represent a new form of evolution towards a transhumanist future. We are literally changing the planet bit by bit. This is the invisible crisis because its effects are not visible yet. Currently, all right. So I'll end on this. Currently, we produce 102 digital bits of information annually. Okay, 1,021 digital bits of information annual on Earth. Assuming 20% of annual growth rate, we estimate that after 350 years from now, the number of bits produced, we estimate, number of bits produced will exceed the number of all atoms on Earth, 1,050. 
After 300 years, the power required to, dis- to sustain the digital production will exceed 18.5-1,015 watts, i.e. the total planetary power consumption today. And after 500 years from now, the digital content will account for more than half of the Earth's mass, according to the Mass Energy Information Principle. Besides the existing global challenges such as climate, environment, population, food, health, energy, and security, our estimates here point to another singularity event from our planet called the Information Catastrophe. So obviously there's something of concern here. Uh, do How much information do we produce today? Well, would you consider any piece of information, misinformation, blog, video clip, podcast, news article, live stream, JPEG, uh, any of that is information. And we're not talking like, we don't even deal in megabytes anymore. We deal in gigabytes. So that amount of information, every every text we send, every JPEG we get, every GIF we push out, every all that stuff is information. Every time we go to our machines, right now I'm producing information. Right now I'm producing about 40 to 50 megabytes right here on the podcast. I'm producing about 7 to 10 gigabytes over there on the video stream. And then I'm putting that out to, like, what, 20 different uh, podcast RSS feeds and including my own website. So all that information has to get stored somewhere. And in order to access that information, a server has to be running 24-7 in order for you to update it. And in order to download it, you have to have a phone or a computer or a tablet to download it and and play it. But in order to download it, you have to have an internet connection. And an internet connection has to be coming. That's more power. And then the ISP has to be running to act constantly to access the servers that are constantly running 24-7. And then I do this twice a week. With thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts out there, I'm just a drop in a bucket. Of, but I'm doing this twice a week. Some podcasts are doing this once a week. Some podcasts are doing this five times a week. So all this information constantly rapidly growing, storing on servers that are getting bigger and bigger. Server rooms cooled constantly, AC running constantly to cool them down, liquid cooled, fucking whatever. All that information is constantly out there, constantly sitting there waiting to be accessed, extracted, downloaded, manipulated, stolen. And then how do we store it? Well, we got to get smaller. So and we got to access it access it faster. There's another thing I'm here that you have to concern about. When you make a, a device small enough, there's it generates okay, when you make a device so small like a processor, very very small, generally processors uh create a lot of because they produce so much energy, they produce a lot of heat. So they have to be cooled down. The problem is, is now it like it is the big issue with Intel. Trying to make processors smaller. How do you make a processor smaller? Right now we are down to a unit of measurement with processors called nanometers. Nanometers are very, very small. We are down to the point where basically let me try to explain it to you in a simpler form. Uh, a processor, an actual chip, an actual chip is basically the size of a Ritz cracker. Some are some of the size of a Ritz cracker. Some of them are a quarter of the size. 
There's a processor inside your phone, which is probably the size of a dime. All that information, all that speed, that high definition, 4K video, JPEGs, sig- cell- telephone signal, podcasting signal, everything, it's all running that tiny little chip. That tiny little chip gets very, very hot because all that information is going through it. It's got to be cooled somehow. And also that information is, it, there's channels, and those channels are separated by very, very tiny little amounts. And those amounts are the separation between one channel and another channel. Two pieces of information passing by each other are separated by nanometers. And right now we're at the point where AMD, the, the nanometers are separated maybe between 7 and 10. 7 and 10 nanometers. The concern is that what we're doing, we are getting to the point where according to this article and uh, people I've spoken with, where is it? Heat energy leaps. Ener- we're we're going to have to deal with something called energy leaps. So if you have heat and energy, so you have you turn on your you turn on your computer, say you're typing a word document or you're doing something or whatever. You have energy, the processor's running, creating heat. There's a possibility with the smaller amount, the closer these these channels of information get close together, the heat being created between the two channels of information, it's possible for a piece of information to jump from one channel to another channel. For example, say you type the letter H, and you're typing it into the computer, and it's sending that information from your keyboard to the program that you're running. For example, Microsoft Word. Okay. Say you have, you type that H, and on the way, that letter H, that command being sent to the Word document, instead of it landing in the Word document, it doesn't go to the Word document. It jumps somewhere else. Because that piece of information is going through the processor, but because it's so close together and there's so much heat and energy passing by each other on the processor, that that information, not even just that information, not even just the letter H, but something else, instead of it going to where it's supposed to go, some of that information jumps. It does an actual leap from one channel to another channel. Now, you can code, you can do actual coding to uh, do if-then scenarios. If this makes this jump, then you can fix that. But, that's becoming an increase that's becoming an increasing issue so i'm curious like what's going to happen after that how close can how small can we make these processors how much how little of nanometer spacing can we have in a processor before this becomes such an issue that we can't make faster hotter processors anymore like when we have a processor the size of the dime how cool can we make it without compromising the actual use of the processor. How hot can the processor actually get before it melts down, before the cores break down, before too much information jumps from one channel to another channel to another channel? That would be a catastrophe. That would be an absolute failure of a processor. And that time, when you think about it, I remember you know, processors back in the day, in the day, I mean, they weren't fast. 
But processors back in the early 1990s were still small in comparison. They just didn't have a lot of power. They didn't transfer a lot of data. It was like a 386, like a Tandy 386. It wasn't a lot of information, but it was still small. I mean, it was what? The size of a, 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 a coin, a dollar coin. I mean, they're much smaller now, and they're built in. Instead of being like, you can buy a processor, you can buy a chip, an actual processor, like a chip, and you can go and install it into your desktop computer. Nowadays, a lot of computers have this stuff on board. They're soldered in, so you can't change them. They're called onboard processors. They're doing that now with graphics cards. They're doing that now with RAM, which is annoying, by the way. So they're doing all, everything is now soldered all into one board. So you have this very small processor, these very small chipsets, this very small RAM, very small hard drives, all soldered onto one board to save space. These computers run really, really hot. Now you have all this, all this technology expected to run almost as fast as a full-size desktop, but in the size of a cell phone or a tablet or whatever. These machines don't last very long. They run so hot for so long, they don't last very long. Like These onboard computers don't last very long. All my computers that have lasted as long as they have are all computers that you could change the RAM out, change the processor out, remove the battery, add a new battery in, change the power source. You can do other stuff on. Things are spaced out enough that they can re continue to remain cool for longer periods of time. Whereas all, I have four, five, six onboard computers in the back room. They don't work anymore. They don't work anymore. They don't, dr and it's, plus if one thing breaks, then the whole thing breaks. That's the problem. You know, it's, 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 a, it's not a good investment. It's not a good investment at all. Here, if the RAM's no good, I can take the RAM out. On an onboard computer, if the RAM breaks down, then the, the computer, the entire machine is useless. That's not cool. With these, I can change out the processor, put in a new one, good to go. Hard drive, same thing. On the new ones, you can't do that. So basically, you spent, you can spend a grand or two grand on these super compact, super lightweight, super fast computers, and in a and unless you got a really sweet warranty, you're out of the you're out of the game. You're out of the game. So for a, a little more weight, a little more versatility. And still decent battery life, it's better to go with something you can change out. You can go with an older processor too. You can go with an older computer that still allows you to change out the RAM, change out the hard drive, change out the processing unit if you want, or have some other components that you can switch out if they tend to break. Computer will last you a lot longer. It might be a tad bit slower, but you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And you'll spend a hell of a lot less money. But here, it's like the amount of heat. How small are we getting? How much energy are we using on this computer? How, I mean, it seems like we're running into a, a thing that I never even thought about. Yeah, we have a lot of information out there. Like, when you think about it, how much information can you retain in your own brain, let alone the Earth? How much information can you retain in your own brain? There's a theory out there that you can only have, you can only remember like 150 names, which is true. You know, there's a theory out there that you can only remember so many people in your life. You can only have so many friends. You can only retain, like right now, you can only retain uh, so much information in your brain 
before you are overloaded. Like right now, especially right now, with everything that's going on, people can't. Pro- people are not functioning the way they used to. People had a more. People were able to break down information much easier in the past. Maybe it was because there were more values. Values were more appreciated, appreciated back in the day. When you didn't have all the information, you went with your value system. And your value system, your metaphorical truth, as Brett Weinstein put it, would get you to the destination where you needed to go. So if you didn't have all the facts, you at least had a proper value system that could get you from point A to point B properly. So without needing to know all the facts, which you may not be privy to nowadays because there's so much misinformation out there, you may not be getting to where you need to go because you're, you're, you're bogged down by so much information. You're not able to process it and you break down. You just break down. I try to absorb, I, I do. By curating a feed of information that I'm trying to figure out, all the information that I have in my brain, I can't, I can't remember it. I have, I have 80-something articles out there. I have almost 200 podcasts. I have like 150 videos on one YouTube channel and probably the same amount on another channel. So how I can, and all that information, I can't remember any, I can't remember shit that I did. I've got terabytes of data sitting behind me in the lab. I can't remember all this stuff. I don't think I should be able to. So when people like, when people talk to these like celebrities, do you, why did you say that thing eight years ago? You know, when they go to try to cancel somebody, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember anything I did yesterday. I remember I watched a movie, played with the dogs. That's about it. I don't remember anything else. My brain is not, most brains are not capable of handling certain amounts of information. You just eventually just break down. And people are not compressed, people are not able to decompress anymore. So now you have all this information coming through at a rapid pace. You're trying to absorb all of it in a small period of time. And you're stuck at home because you work from home, your kids are home, you're remote, they're remote learning, you have a virus out there, so you're trying to absorb all that information as well. People are trying to absorb election-type stuff. that They're trying to deal with that issue. They're, they've got polarized family, family members. They've got polarized friends. They've got the, the whole social justice movement that's out there right now that you're trying to absorb, whether or not that's affecting your town. You've got, you, you've got financing, you know, your finances that you're trying to deal with as well. Are you affected by this uh, whole situation? Are you not? You've got real estate, the whole real estate dilemma. Should I move now? Is it a good time to move? You're trying to absorb all this information, health and wellness. How do you process all that information without breaking down? And I say it has to be a balance between facts and values. You, you can't, you cannot, and it's a perfect example. You can only go so far with the processors that we have in place right now. Okay, seven nanometers. That's a small, uh, around set five to seven nanometers. That's as small as we've gotten. We're currently working on making, uh, creating quantum computing, but that has a whole nother Pandora's box attached to it altogether that I have not invested enough time in to understand. From what I have been told, that with quantum computing, it opens up a whole new dilemma when it comes to hacking and password and encryption protection. It's a whole different ballgame and it's a whole nother dilemma to deal with. 
But as far as our current state of processing power right now, well, what we are doing is instead of having one processor, we have processors with several cores. So we went from one core to two cores, two cores to four cores, four cores to eight cores. And then we have overclocking, which heats up the processor even more, more energy, more processor speed. And then, okay, well, now we have eight cores, so we have hexa-core processors. Well, we don't, it's not fast enough, so what do we do? Well, we get a, uh, we get a, a graphics card that has a processor on it, too, with extra cores and more RAM. So now we have, we have eight cores, and then we have a graphics card, and then instead of 16 gigs of RAM, we have 32 gigs of RAM. Well, DDR3 is not doing it. We got DDR4. So now we got all these cores, all these, all this RAM, and a graphics card. And instead of doing having a 40 watt power cord, we have a 60 watt or a 100 watt power cord. Well, that's not enough. We don't have enough power. We can't process all all this information. What do we do? Well, we need another processor. So now we have two processors. Some of these servers they run on dual Xenon uh, Xeon processors. So now I have two or even four processors in one computer. Well, that needs more power. So now we have 32 gigs of RAM per processor. And another, and then you have that. And then we have, uh, instead of a hard, regular hard drives, they're not fast enough. What do we need? We need SSD. SSD is not fast enough. We need M2. We need a bigger graphics card. Well, we need more fans. It's going to be too hot. We got fucking four processors and a giant <laughs> graphics card and all this RAM. Now it's hot. Everything needs a fan. All the all the fucking processors need fans. The graphics card needs a fan. The RAM needs a fan. We got this giant motherboard. Those need fans too. We need an exhaust port. Two fans on top of the exhaust port. The body doesn't work that way. The body can't process like that. It can't. It just can't do it. Humans can't process like that. We can't think like that. We are amazing, amazing creatures. But we just can't reboot. We just can't reboot like that. We have to get eight hours of sleep. We have to supplement with vitamins and minerals. We have to have communication and emotion and time off and decompress. And we have to meditate and stretch. We can't do what these things can do. We are at the biological limits of our capacity. Now, the big question is, all these cores and all this data, how far are we going to go? Now, how far, sh now not the question of how far should we, you know, smart glasses, smart phones, smart watches, smart shoes, smart whatever. How far should we go? I don't, I, how much information should we, ha should we be gathering? There's a lot of things out there that people don't know that are so basic. We have all this information. It's like, it's like having a small tech company that ha that's maybe run by 20 people that laps a large tech company that has 4,000. Why does the small tech company Lap the big tech company. Well, let's look at the numbers. They are a smaller tech company. They can take more risks. They're more ambitious. 
one person handles one specific workload, but it's a large workload, but they can handle right through it. They can process all through it. They have a low administrative budget, which allows them to bypass all red tape quicker. The large tech company has a huge administrative budget, a huge HR budget, more strict policies, more checkpoints. Things are slower. And because things are slower, it's more time consuming. More time consuming means more costly. So with all this information, it's like, okay, what do we need to know? Do I need a seven nanometer processor? Do I need four cores? Do I need uh, a smartphone that I go, hey, Google, fucking do this. Do I need it to do that? Or do I, can I do it myself? All these things, it's, it's like, it's, it's way too much information. What information should we be should we keep? What information the the ability to be we're doing all this all to not be right but to be first. I'm curious as to when the information in our brain starts to cross over. This is a problem with depression too, where we're trying to smash all this information into our brain and it's overloading us and we're getting exhausted. We're getting depressed. We're online constantly and we're just we forget what it's like to just be human. And just experience what it, what a breath breath of fresh air and how sweet a breath of fresh air is like, but we're just stuck indoors because the one emotion we all have right now is fear. We're all scared because we're it's being what's being reported by this large chunks of data is for us that we need to be scared. We need to be concerned. And as usual, I'm not buying it. I look at everything from a basic, basic standpoint. What do I need to know to get through my day the most efficiently as possible? I know which supplements to take because I pay attention to the right people. I ignore all the minutia of stuff that is, uh, what do you call it? That is basically taking me down a path to which there is, there's no exit point. Everything is just... If you read an article that gets you no information or doesn't allow you to think, hmm, you've wasted your time. If it's just a fear-based article that doesn't put more that doesn't uh, allow you to use your responsibilities and your brain and your willpower and your value system to get you to the next point of being a better human being, the, the, the article has missed the point. There's a lot of shit out there that blames other people for your problems. You know, I get there's a lot of people out there with a lot of issues, but I can tell you all of our problems, all of us have an issue. We absorb way too much information. We all need the next faster, bigger thing. Quite frankly, I don't, I'm not buying it. I I like to decom. I need to decompress because I'm a person who takes in a lot of information, a, a lot. And, it, and we'll, let me put it this way. I don't take in a lot of information. I'm constantly perusing and looking and researching for the right information. That's hard enough as it is because to do that, it's not like looking, what, is, what did Tom Hanks say in Saving Private Ryan? It's not like looking through a needle in a, a haystack. It's like looking for a needle in a stack of needles because if you type in a keyword search for you look for a specific thing, there's 50,000 articles on it. So how do you figure out what's right and what's not, what's accurate, what's, 
you have to rely on your value system. And if you weren't brought up with a proper value system, you don't know, you will not end up in the right place. You need values. I cannot stress this enough. And if you weren't raised with values, basically do this. This is a pro like, you know, handshakes, tipping, giving people space, covering your mouth when you sneeze or cough, or at least doing that in an opposite direction, giving people space when they're at the grocery store. This was shit way before 2016, way before the pandemic of 2020. This is this shit was should have been common practice and was a breakdown in our societal structure long before uh, the, the, the 2000s started to hit. This was stuff like I'd be standing in a grocery store, which I don't remember the last time I even stepped foot in a grocery store, to be perfectly honest with you. Like I was, I was, I was talking to my girlfriend. I, I said something about, I said to her, I, 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 why is it the way I act the way I do? I like to reflect on the reason I act the way I do at my, the, at my age with my viewpoints and things like that. Why do I act the way I do? Why do I drive the car that I drive? Why do I insist on not going to places when they have certain rules and regulations? Like, why do I not adhere to them? It's like, well, am I doing anything really wrong at this point? Am I? You know, I do, I'm able to operate everything that I'm able to operate everything from the comfort of my own home with a small amount of energy consumption. So I'm not hurting the environment. Yeah, I drive a big V8, but it's usually just, it sits for a majority of the week. I've owned that car for over a year, 16 months. It's got 8,000 miles on it. I've only put 8,000 miles on it. So what am I... Tell me what I'm doing wrong. I haven't gone into a grocery store in a couple months. Okay. I haven't walked in a mall in probably a year. Except for maybe going to get my hair cut. That's it. So the way I operate and I look at the world, it's like, okay. The way I think maybe is a little old school. But I like to look, I want to look at it from this point. I get that there's a lot of dangers out there. It's always a dangerous world. I want to be a symbol of what it's like for things. People will forget what it's like to be normal. This isn't the new normal. What we're going through right now is not any type of norm, nor should it be. We are in a moment in time which is unlike any other. The 1929 stock market crash, the 1918 Spanish flu, okay, 1941 Pearl Harbor. 1945, first atomic weapon used in warfare. 2001, September 11th. These are times unlike any other, where norms are discarded in times of crisis. But you have to get back to those norms. And people forget those things. In times of crisis, people forget, and they quickly discard their value systems out of fear because of conformity. You have to remember what it's like when things are normal, when things evolve to a norm, when, th when things evolve to the point where you are scolding somebody for doing something or you're just thinking out loud to the point where you are, well, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll back up, Tad. My whole point of this last uh, thought before I end this podcast is I want to be an example to everybody 
of what it was like to be normal before the bef- of what it was like when everything was okay okay no fine you have requirements for when you go in fine i don't need to go and eat out at restaurants i love sitting outside if you have a patio i'll go and sit on the patio i'm cool with that that's fine with me i miss weddings i really do i love i i do miss weddings weddings are great i like social gatherings those are great i don't i didn't really eat at restaurants a lot before this whole thing happened i didn't go and peruse the mall i maybe once in a while would step foot inside of jc to grab some v-necks or whatever I was everything I was doing I was doing out of the comfort of my own skill sets cooking at home. I was very good at it. I don't need to be doing these things in order to conform to a society that thinks that now that this is normal. This is not normal. Wearing masks is not normal. Scolding people for their political ideologies is not normal. Yelling at people's homes and screaming and marching down the street and breaking windows is not normal. None of this stuff is normal. It is a sign of the time in a, cri- in a crisis situation that we need to address so we can go back to the way things should be. We need to address social injustice problems the right way. We need to solve this health and wellness crisis that we're going through the right way. And we cannot be blaming anybody else for our own problems other than whoever you see in the mirror every single day. So I want to, whenever I put the roof down in my car and drive around in my V8 convertible, you need to understand that there is way more to that than just that. That is a celebration of everything that I've done up until this point. The, the, the successes and the failures. You have to understand that before... Before that Mustang ended up in that driveway, I was driving a Volkswagen Passat wagon for two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month. Why? Not a, It's not a car I would favor to drive, but my buddy Johnny Monotone was kind enough to let me borrow that car so that I could continue doing what I needed to do for that month. Why did I need to borrow that car? Why did he? Why was he kind enough to let me borrow that car so I didn't have to spend money on Uber? Because before that, I had a convertible. But somebody decided to smash into it while it was parked outside a house and total it and take off. And I had to pay a significant amount out of pocket to pay off the loan on that convertible in order to deserve another one. Now this is my probably my final convertible. I'll have other cars, but this is my car and I will be more than happy to park a Tesla, you know, or you know, a Polestar or a, a Nikola, something. Something electric or something hydrogen powered. I'd be more than happy to do that and park it next to that Mustang. I would love to have an extra car or do extra things that make it more fuel efficient for the environment. I get that. I get that. That's actually one of the more fuel efficient Mustangs that was created because it's a, it's a, 
16 valve, not a 32 valve. It's a Crown Vic engine. So you have to understand, to this point, everything I do is efficient enough so I'm not putting a huge dent in the environment. Now, I just I personally love muscle cars. I personally love convertibles, and I, I, I happen to like American muscle cars. I like, I like Mustangs. That's what I drive. But I'm not ripping the catalytic converters and mufflers off the thing and running straight pipes and blowing up the neighborhood. I'm not doing that. But you have to understand, I want to remind people when I pull up and I, you see me in town of what you, I want to represent a, a, at least an idea of what, like a Norman Rockwell painting, what normal looks like in our society. And not pretend like this is normal now. Like this is a requirement for being normal. It's not. We have to get back and get back to something where people are civil, where our communities were kind of together, and people kind of got along with their day, whereas little annoying things didn't annoy you so much, where people didn't snap at the drop of a hat. People are on edge. This is one of the reasons why I'm moving next year. I never thought, well, maybe I did when I think about it because it was always my goal to leave, but I always wanted to leave on my own terms. But now I am ready to go. I'm very ready to go. And I'm going to get there one way or another. But yeah, I, I see, I truly see it. I've seen it at opposite ends of my street. I was at a house that I lived at the other day. Playing with the playing with my buddy's dogs, and it's just like, hmm. I just I see it swallowing itself, and it's it's a scary thought that I don't like. Do I even have six months to a year to be to have the chance to get out of here, or is this thing going to collapse within itself much sooner than that? I'm only asking for maybe another ten months. That's it. 10 months, 12 months tops, and then I'm out of here. But what a difference 25 to 30 minutes will make. Just heading towards the ocean, property values will always be high, neighborhoods will most likely always be civil, generally not overdeveloped, better, better school systems, better property management, people who are, will be in... If you're towards the ocean, you generally have better moods. You generally should be in a better mood, depending upon the state. I know California is basically just going to fall into the ocean, but over here should be a little bit more relaxed. So I'm, I'm thinking I, I want to represent a normalcy. Roof down, tunes on, sunglasses, normal. Aspire to get back to that. And as we evolve as people... You know, you know, maybe you'll want a convertible or, or, you know, and maybe it'll be electric or something. I don't know. I don't care. It's your preference. But getting back to a normalcy where people are just kind of going about their day and there's no pandemic. There's no election. There's no rioting two streets down. There's no massive protests. It's just people getting on with their day. 
I don't know. We'll see. But I can tell you right now, I'm not going to stay around for two years to find out what happens here. And if it's a reflection, if it becomes a reflection of what's happening in New York or LA, I don't want to be around for that. So I'm going to use my values, which have built-in instincts that adhere to my instincts and get me and everyone I care about the fuck out of here. So I think I, I think I made my point as far as information overload and using your value system to build a better life for yourself and setting an example for what normalcy should look like. Don't be like me. Be like you. Be like what a normal version of you would look like and try to be the, strive to be the best person you could be based on the value system that you were brought up on. And if you weren't brought up on any values, I strongly suggest you go get some and go learn about values. Uh, anyways, we're done here for the day. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I know TuneIn, CastBox, Podcast Addict. I know Google Play Music is going away, but that's okay. If there's a new platform that comes out or whatever, surely I'll be on there. Um, you can also find this uh, podcast on my own website, positivesarcasm.com, which you can support. Just go to the contact page. You can contact me there at positivesarcasm at outlook.com positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Donate as little as a dollar. And of course, Positive Sarcasm Podcast on YouTube. But till then, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. I will talk to you all on Wednesday. I'm going to get some sleep, by the way. And uh, yeah, guess for that. I guess we're going to come to a nice, nice, soft end. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. This has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.
podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.